A reading from the book of Daniel, chapter 3, verses 1 through 30. King Nebuchadnezzar made a golden statue whose height was 60 cubits, 90 feet, and whose width was 6 cubits, 9 feet. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. And then King Nebuchadnezzar sent for the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, all the officials of the provinces to assemble and come to the dedication of the statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And so the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, and the counselors, and the treasurers, and the justices, and the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces assembled for the dedication of the statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And when they were standing before the statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, drum, entire musical ensemble, you are to fall down and worship the golden statue that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, drum, an entire musical ensemble, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Accordingly, at this time certain Chaldeans came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, uh, o king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, fire, trigon, harp, drum, an entire musical ensemble shall fall down and worship the golden statue. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. There are certain Jews from whom, whom you had appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These pay no heed to you, O king. They do not serve your gods, and they do not worship the golden statue that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought in. So they brought those men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you don't serve my gods, and you don't worship the golden statue that I've set up? Now, if you're ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, huh? Our drum, entire musical ensemble to fall down and worship the statue that I have made well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be thrown into a, a furnace of blazing fire. And who is the God that will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answer the king, O oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to present a defense to you in this matter. If our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire and out of your hand, O king, let him deliver us. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods and we will not worship the golden statue that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was so filled with rage against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face was distorted. He ordered the furnace heated up seven times more than was customary and ordered some of the strongest guards in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to throw them into the furnace of blazing fire. And so the men were bound, still wearing their tunics, their trousers, their hats, their other flammable garments, and they were thrown 
into the furnace of blazing fire because the king's command was urgent and the furnace was so overheated. The raging flames killed the men who lifted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But the three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down, bound into the furnace of blazing fire. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up quickly. He said to his counselors, Was it not three men that we threw bound into the fire? They answered the king, True, O king. He replied, But I see four men unbound, walking in the middle of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the fourth has the appearance of a god. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the door of the furnace of blazing fire and said, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed, and their tunics were not harmed. Not even the smell of fire came from them. Nebuchadnezzar said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him. They disobeyed the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that others blasphemy against the god Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins, for there is no other god who is able to deliver in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. The end. Uh, some of you are very familiar with that story. This story uh, is taken up by Veggie Tales mm-hmm. as the tale of Rackshack and Benny, yes. which uh, warms my heart because one of my early memories with Paul McMullen, who many of you know and remember, uh, was watching that together. And the statue in that story is uh, about the chocolate bunny. The, that's it. Huh? I love the bunny. Yeah. Paul sings that so great and deep. We would sing that back and forth to each other. When we'd call each other, we'd leave voicemails and just sing the bunny, the bunny. All, we have all kinds of connections to this story. Uh, this is part of the the Sunday morning lore. Uh, and I, um, I want to explore it maybe in a different angle, uh, as we've been doing all of these stories in Daniel that, that, uh, you know, we've heard the legend of, um, what, what does it, what does it look like to look at these with grown up eyes? What do these look, uh, what do these stories mean for us? Now, interestingly, the previous chapter, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, which we explored last week. And in the dream, he imagines, he dreams of a statue. And the face is uh, gold, and the shoulders are uh, silver, the, the center is bronze, the legs are iron, and the feet are clay. And each of those parts of the statue represent uh, kings and their kingdoms. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar is the head of gold, and uh, the kingdom that's inferior that will follow is silver, and then bronze, and then iron, and then the feet of clay, and so on. Uh, so it's possible that's what what's happening in this story 
is Nebuchadnezzar is taking this dream and he is reinterpreting it because he crafts a statue and you notice it's 90 feet tall and it's solid gold as if to say, no, 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 no. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon are going to be in power forever and ever. Gold from the top to the bottom. Nebuchadnezzar is reinterpreting this dream that he has with this very lanky statue uh, and inviting all of the people in this kingdom uh, to come and worship it as an exercise of his power and authority. Uh, he was claiming status as a god, the power of a god to secure the future of those who worshipped him or it. And, and the whole story is it's a theological claim. Uh, the central conversation is uh, who, what god could do anything about this? What God could challenge me in this statue? I, with, I, I'll enforce the power of the fiery furnace if you don't submit and get in line. Uh, so I found myself wondering, I really got stuck on the golden statue. And it's, it's a, it's a thought project of mine a lot to think about like, what are the golden statues of our age? Uh, cause we don't, we don't do idolatry in the same way, uh, but we, we do do power and idolatry. It's, it just takes different forms and fashions. Um, what are the powers that are set up as gods to demand loyalty and obedience and consequence if they are not obeyed? So, uh, bear with me. Uh, admittedly, this is underdeveloped. I, I, I approach this as a novice and I want to submit, um, this allegory to you all and your expertise. Um, please, um, poke at it. I, I, I don't claim that it's all right and that I see it exactly right, but I follow me in this thought experiment, if you will. What if we considered this story, not the only meaning or interpretation, an application to us, what if we considered this story as an allegory of capitalism? Uh, one book subtitle on capitalism that I read was The System That Rules the World. That sounds familiar to this story. Uh, Catherine Tanner is a theologian. She says capitalism is tantamount to a religion that organizes people's lives. Frame, it frames our identities as consumers, as competitors within the system. Capitalism is our economic system. Uh, it's, and here's, you know, capitalism for dummies, for Charles. It's an economy based on capital, on currency, on a, a wage system. It replaced mercantilism, uh, where, where you've got merchants who are uh, middle men and women of sorts who work with independent laborers. They secure the goods and then they sell them. Uh, that was the dominant frame before industrialization, before we had warehouses that mass produced things. And instead of, you didn't need merchants anymore because the capitalist, the industrialist could both produce and sell what they were producing. Uh, so the merchants get worked out. A big, Advantage of capitalism is at least the prospect of freedom, uh, freedom for innovation, 
freedom of choice in the in the market, uh, uh, freedom for growth and expansion that's encouraged and built in to this system, freedom to choose what you want to buy or sell or make or even do for a career. You didn't necessarily inherit your family's trade anymore. You had flexibility because of capitalism. Capitalism is like the operating system that runs in the background of everything, for at least for us Americans. Um, it's pervasive, like in this story. All the governing officials, all the classes, all the races, all the creeds, all the political parties, left and right, no matter what your stripe, poor and rich, all of us are embedded in capitalism. All of us are ensconced with them. It's no respecter of persons. All of us in storyline, lots of us who are well-educated and relatively wealthy, we're wrapped up in capitalism and we benefit from it. It's like the matrix. That's all I'll say. We're, we're asked to give allegiance to capitalism to the extent that we can't really exist in our country without it. We can't function without it. We can't buy food or clothes without capital. We can't secure housing without capital. We can't survive without capital. But capitalism has a very dark side. Someone defined capitalism as a system in which, as a general rule, those who work um, and those whose work creates the profits neither own the means of production nor enjoy the fruits of their labor. Uh, in other words, capitalism creates a market for the exploitation of cheap and desperate laborers. It requires a pauper class on some level, a, a class of unskilled workers to persist and prop it up as a system. Uh, for example, corporations whose executives are paid bajillions, while we argue about whether their laborers should make $12 an hour or $15 an hour. And then you have corporations, uh, these capitalistic entities, these profit engines that are required by law to seek no other end than the maximum gains for those who hold a financial stake in their existence. It's even forbidden to consider any other goal, be it the consideration of whether or not profit is ethical or not, uh, the welfare of its workers, uh, charitable causes that, that capital might go to instead, the impact on the environment, on and on and on. At least unfettered free market capitalism. Uh, capitalism creates a culture of consumerism, of which all of us are part, right? To, to exist, capitalism requires us to want more and more and more. It endlessly has to create new desires that lead to new purchases because it's, you know, that's why George Bush is like, here's some money to stimulate the econ economy because we need that. We have to spend to continue to grow. That's what capitalism requires. Uh, give allegiance, as it were. Uh, we can see it in the way it's infected church culture in capitalism. Find the best church with all the products and the services you desire that has a great brand in the market of the church market. And, and if it doesn't meet your needs, then leave and find another one when that church stops fulfilling those desires. There's, there's freedom, and that's a good thing, but there's there's also a dark underbelly to it. Capitalism relies on a stable credit economy, which requires a certain pool of debtors whose interest payments prop up their creditors, often folks in poverty. Uh, David Bentley Hart is a theologian and a philosopher who says, 
If left to itself, capitalism will reduce the whole natural order to a desert because it just ravages and exploits everything to convert it into a profit to make a, uh, to make a, to make a product to convert it to a profit. Uh, and capitalism also fuels various forms of injustice. I, I've seen in some of our connection to decarceration work in the city, the way capitalism and the private prison system, which is very capitalistic, fuels the uptick in incarceration in our, in our county, in our country. It is profitable to imprison people and put them in cages. And so if you look at the last 50 years, the numbers of folks who are incarcerated has it doubled and then tripled and expanded by millions and millions. And capitalism has something to do with that. Um, did you know that Whole Foods buys most of its food from the prison system? There's a, there's a prison complex in Louisiana that sources a huge share of Whole Foods produce. Well, that's weird. Go look that up. I mean, I hope I'm wrong, but I think that I, I was told that by a formerly incarcerated person who, who farmed the land that went to Whole Foods. Um, thir- the 13th documentary is a great doc. Uh, it's a great watch. It's a painful watch on the intersection of incarceration and capitalism and systemic racism. The, the prison industrial complex is this capitalistic beast. Yeah. Uh, so to the extent that people of color are incarcerated at disproportionate rates, capitalism colludes with systemic racism. Uh, Jesus's words come to mind. Uh, you can't serve God and capital. Uh, Jesus talked about capital more than just about anything else because he saw its power, its claims for allegiance. Um, and, and yet it's tricky. Uh, you can fast from alcohol. You can fast from drugs. You can fast from even buying clothes and accoutrements. Did I say that right? Uh, but you can't fast from food and water, at least not for long. Uh, we need food and water to persist. We need capital on some level to survive unless we seek the way of the minimalists, and some do that. Um, they go off the grid without money, which has its own benefits and challenges. Uh, but I think that's part of the fiery furnace of uh, of capitalism. Is that you needed to survive, and it, and it, and uh, if you if you uh, refuse it or resist it, on some level there is the threat of poverty, and the trauma of poverty is very real. Um, just as Rakshak and Benny couldn't extract themselves from the power of Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar, um, it was all around them. The, the same is true for us in capitalism. Another part of capitalism's fiery furnace is the real threat of war and violence. Uh, the Cold War following World War II was driven by the ideological difference between capitalism and communism. Uh, communism being state-governed economy, which, by the way, is another golden statute uh, that is uh, n- not any better than capitalism, uh, such that even the critique or the doubt of capitalism meant, oh, you must be a communist. You must be the enemy, uh, the the other. Uh, those accusations persist, persist today in our political discourse between conservatives and democratic socialists. Uh, I see capitalism's power in relationships. It's the most form, it's the most common form of conflict in marriage, for instance. Uh, capitalism objectifies us. 
It turns us into commodities, into products, into brands that we then market on our social media platforms. Um, our relationships become transactions in capitalism. I'm in relationship with you to get something. You're in relationship with me to get something, namely capital. I see capitalism's, uh, capitalism's power in cultural taboo. How awkward would it be if I was like, hey, everybody, let's go around. Would you share what your salary is and how much you have left on your mortgage? What What's in your IRA and your 401k? Like, that, uh, that's a little cringy, right? Uh, yeah, right, yeah. Uh, I mean, but but in a private office, eh? Uh, uh, it feels a little different. Even in a room among friends who uh, know and love and care about each other, it feels a little cringy to think, oh, yeah, let's get out and compare all of our numbers together. There, there, there is power that's reflected in that secrecy or privacy, right? Uh, I see capitalism's power in that. Uh, I see capitalism's power in the rightful suspicion that any time a pastor talks about money and decries the evil of money, that it's really just a ploy to get people to give money to the church and its pastor. Yeah? Uh, capitalism is embedded in... Uh, in church and Christendom and religion. Um, and this suspicion, uh, while critiquing it, uh, it's rightful because I see capitalism's power over me. Uh, not that this is actually a ploy to give more money to the church or to storyline. Uh, don't do that. But uh, few things give me more anxiety than, I'll be honest, uh, reconciling our family budget, dear Lord, or or the prospect of going into debt or the prospect of not having enough capital to make ends meet, or the, the hustle of fundraising and earning a, ra- a wage, all of those are ways that I'm ensconced and embedded and entangled in capitalism, right? Okay, so I, I started by saying I'm a novice. I'm working all of this out. I'm trying to imagine the what what are the golden statues of our day, the, the forces that demand our allegiance. Um, what would you add or subtract from what I've said about capitalism as a as a golden statue what's what what do you want to poke at or what's resonating with you what's what do you got there's no light on this yeah sorry to hold it until the lights come on Oh, sir. Um, I don't know. Okay, there it is. Um, yeah, I can't remember the name of the book, but I was reading a book recently, and like you mentioned, slavery and the way that it, like, capitalism supports it. But it was talking about how slaves being sent to the new world, like debtors. Um, in the, in Europe being mm. sent to the new world, that was the first form of like speculative capital because they might die on the way over there. They might not live very long when they got here. Mm. And so it was the first time that there was essentially like this gambling that started happening on, um, like resources that weren't like your own, I guess, if that makes sense. Like it was like, that was the first. Like slavery mm. was the it, it was a, capitalism, an investment of sorts. Yeah, it was the first. Yeah, it was the first like form of investment yep. was human labor mm. 
to like cultivate the new world. Hmm. And the only way that they could get people to come over here who were rich was to give them an, a supply of labor. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's how they did it. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just trying to think about, um, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's choice to not bow down to the golden calf. And like they were, they knew that they were choosing death to do that. You know, and so I guess on one hand, I was like, is it the same? But like, yeah, if we don't choose to bow down to capitalism, good luck. You know, it it almost is a death sentence because, you know, like, are are we equipped to find safe water to drink out in the wilderness or, you know, cultivate land and how where did we get our seeds from? And, you know, like, um, yeah. Thanks, Jim. Oh, we got an NBA. Here we go. Let's hear it, man. Well, I was thinking more back home and um, how this statue and you can't fight it. It says, well, it's whatever I say. There's no way around it. And you'll do it. And that's what gangs or criminality or violence and all that and say okay you can fight as much as you want but you know you will you will have to do as i say because you know i can yeah mm-hmm. but but it's not just die as like i'll kill your family or i'll mm-hmm. kill your friends you know and not just that you know it's because we always think on on violence it's just like we go and kill someone and you know but because of the work that we do is like we can do whatever we want. We can abuse kids. We can use them as, you know, they can go and ask for money from you or steal from you and I'm protected. So, but it's like this whole, and you're, what, how do you say I, I am going to go against it? Like mm. it, it's, um, it almost seems impossible, mm. but it is one of those things. Yeah. Yep. Threat is real. I guess I'm just thinking about what do we do then? Like, we don't all want to just like commit mass suicide basically. Um, right. Mm -hmm. Um, and like I looked up 
real quick, I was like Whole Foods in prison because I shop at Whole Foods a lot. <laughs> and so I was like, it looks like they stopped in okay. like 2015. Okay. But I, I don't know, you yeah. know, like they've been, they got, that's how they got their start. And so that's, um, that's troubling. And that I think a lot, so much of it, capitalism is so sneaky because we don't even know that it's yep. happening. Yep. Um, you have to like really go and search for like, oh, I would not want to shop at Whole Foods if this is where they get their food from. But like, how are you going to know? Yeah. Yeah. And then it looks what? Pretty and shiny when and they, wonderful. Well, on when, outside. when I have lots of food allergies and they only, they carry the yeah. only thing that I can eat, yep. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it's kind of, it's complicated. Mm-hmm. So yeah. What? What do we do, Charles? Right. What do we do? Well, um, Julie has the answer. (laughs) I think for me, I'm not bothered by Whole Foods getting their food from a prison. Uh, My problem is the lack of fair pay for the work. Um, I had this a little bit when I was an undergrad at ACU. We would... um, you staff the speech therapy clinic with students and people come for for your reduced speech therapy in the community. And we saw a lot of um, adults who lived like in the, um, I know it has a different name now, but you know, like a adult MHMR home um, and they made salsa and it was like meaningful work for them. Like they felt like they were adults. Like they weren't just like, you know, doing crafts all day. But I feel like it was just to keep them busy. I don't think they were actually paid. I don't know if that's a good parallel, but I think, I think inmates should have some sort of, and I know this is only sort of a branch of what we're talking about. They should have meaningful work, like in skills while they're there. I just feel like you should be paid fairly while you're doing mm-hmm. it. Then you could probably get into an argument of, do you forfeit that right if you've murdered somebody? But, um, I don't know. Well, I mean, that is the, the loophole of the 13th Amendment is that slavery is is no longer legal except in cases of criminal incarceration. So that's the yeah. that's that's well, yeah, I would say it just transferred the slavery system into our our prison complex. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So many so many concerning things. I think that's what concerns me most about capitalism is who makes the rules and who makes the loopholes. And then if I say, if someone murders my child, they deserve to forfeit the right to free or to fair wages. But then I think about all the people who are wrongly convicted and, you know, then it just gets messy and feels like the people at the top with all the power are probably not concerned with those details um, and are just concerned with the profit. And there's really no way to regulate that. It's like, I mean, I know in El Salvador, it's a whole nother level, but just, you can say, screw them, but you're like, mm, but also I'm just going to do it. I mean, like, what are you? you know, it's hard to, it's hard to get around. Mm. Well, um, I, I'm curious to point Megan's question to all of you because that, that was my next question, honestly. And Jen, maybe you asked it or somebody else asked it too. Um, what does resistance look like? What does refusing to bow down look like when we are so like embedded and caught up in this broader system? Uh, how, um, how do we hang on 
to our allegiance to God as our provider and um, as our source and um, and and not 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 capitalism or capital as it were. I just want to say I have no clue because I just want to make more money. Hmm. That's fair. Yep. I feel that too. I got three kids and one of them's going to go to college in three years. And then the next one's going to go to college in three years. And the next one, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's even assuming that college is sustainable, financial, or even worth it. I mean, that's a, a another ramification of capitalism. Yeah? Was there another hand? An unfinished okay. I love those. This whole morning has been an unfinished yeah, thought. Yeah, right. And so the, 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 the part that I'm trying to reconcile right now is comparing the golden statue to capitalism. Yeah. Because worshiping the golden statue when this very specifically designed band prescribed by law um plays yeah that is a yeah the, the, yeah the flu. <laughs> why aren't you down now well, i didn't hear the harp uh, everything else <laughs> you know what? there are there are Good bells job. on wall street uh that, that's all i could think of <laughs> but but that's a very specific yeah. event right yep and shadrach meshach and Edgar were like you know what we're not doing this um, but capitalism isn't just like a, there's this thing over here. And when the signal happens, then we're going to do it. And we can be like, no, we're not going to do that. That's going to be our resistance. Hmm. Um, but then, then it occurs to me that, well, the, the statue isn't, isn't quite the same thing because there isn't, there is an entire system and it's worth pointing out. They work for the government. They work for it. It's not that they were just like three random people that were living under the rule. They're, they're working for him. Yep. Um, and so they are also embedded in this big system that they probably wish that they could just completely dismantle and change. Hmm. And yet they found, I don't know if this was just one, one thing too far for them. I don't know if this was just here's one tangible, meaningful thing that we can do and stand up against and have our resistance. Mm-hmm. But um, but for whatever reason, it was that. And so that's the the unfinished part of the thought is. So what is is there something like that here mm-hmm. that we can't maybe we can't just completely opt out and go, you know what? Tear the whole thing down because we can't. Yep. Um, but what? What what it what is the smaller thing that's still pretty visible that, that we could do? Yep, within that framework, and that I don't know. I but, I think that's dead on, Ted. And it, it actually reminds us, or it reminds me. I don't know if it reminds y'all. It reminds me of the conversation we had about Daniel one. The the very same dynamics are going on in in Daniel's choice to um to take the diet that he did and to refuse the um the food and the wine. There's no restrictions in. Jewish law about him drinking wine. 
uh, they're in, you know, he's embedded in the imperial court. You know, he's being trained up to be an officer or whatnot. And, and he chooses almost arbitrarily like this one act of resistance, um, to like, as if to say, like, I, at the end of the day, I'm loyal to God and not to you, Nebuchadnezzar. And, uh, your comments made me feel like, yeah, that, that's kind of what's going on, uh, in this chapter, maybe a little more on the nose to the extent that they're being asked to worship this golden statue. I mean, it's, um, don't worship God, you know, or, or you know, worship this and God or whatever. Um, but I think what, where your thoughts are going really resonate with me. What, what, um, what are those points of, uh, resistance? What, what, uh, what are those moments where we, where we, um, we live into a, a reality that's not determined by transaction and consumption and capital and, and anxiety about the lack thereof? Uh, that's it. Thanks, Ted. Julie? Yes, I'm thinking of one thing. I'm sitting here thinking, you know, how do you eat an elephant? <clears throat> and how do you eat an one, one bite at a time? Um, um, Shall we pray? <laughs> um, I think I heard Jen Hatmaker say a long time ago, the world, it's too easy to find out where your things come from these days to not know, to have the excuse of not knowing. Um, and I think like Lauren Cohn is a great resource for like clothing and a lot of fashion thing um, of we want, you know, how dare someone pay $50 for a shirt? Well, I'd rather pay $50 for a shirt if I know the laborers, you know, paid a fair wage and just have fewer shirts. And, um, and that's hard because as Americans, we want more and we want it cheaper and we want it faster. And we don't want to have to think about where it came from or at whose expense. Um, and so I think, you know, I don't have the bandwidth or maybe I do. And it's just an excuse to do that for every product I shop and buy. But I think maybe in one area I could look more closely or I could, you know, I, I, and sometimes products are just more expensive because people at the top are making more, but it wouldn't be terribly hard to really figure that out. I don't think, um, for one or two things that we regularly buy. Thanks, Jules. Um, here are, um, just to bullet, um, uh, so, so much of, Capitalism is the formation of desire and it, it depends on the desire to acquire the stuff and the things and practices really shape our desires. Um, so I, I think practices that undercut and form our desires in a different direction are practices like hospitality, where we share our stuff with others, the act of sharing, the act of generosity, like parting with our capital that we could very well use for very causes otherwise or for legitimate needs that we have in our family. Like to have, to have part of what we do to give that away, it untethers us a little bit from, uh, the hold. Uh, it forms our desires, reorients us to, Oh yeah, I'm, I, I'm going to have to 
I'm doing, I'm going to have to trust that I'll have what I need, uh, uh, in giving this. Uh, I like these thoughts from, from Hart again. Uh, Christians are those who are no longer at the liberty to imagine or desire any social or political or economic order other than the koinonia or fellowship of the early church. No other communal morality than the anarchy of Christian love. Um, I think in our community, we have, we have the opportunity to, to live generously with each other in ways that subvert the, the, the hold of capitalism on us. Uh, Hart says we must pursue a vision of the common good that presumes the basis of law and justice is not the inviolable right to private property, but rather that the goods of creation belong equally to all and that immense private wealth is theft. Bread stolen from the hungry, clothes stolen from the naked, money stolen from the destitute. Uh, those are strong words. Um, and I, I'm, I feel like I'm at the first of the line for those who have growing to do in this. Um, but thank you. Thanks for, um, exploring this with me today and thinking about it today. Um, the end of this story is that God delivers them from the fire. God is with them in the fire. They do it whether or not God rescues them. Um, because God is the God of all gods. Capitalism isn't the God of all gods after all. Um, God is stronger and better than the golden statue. And God's power is revealed through the humble actions of the lowly, the outsider, the exiles, Rakshak and Benny. Um, it, it's through the resistance of those at the margins of these powers and principalities that God shapes and changes the world. Um, it's through the small acts of resistance like trust and generosity and resource sharing and hospitality that God shapes the world and reveals the bankruptcy of the powers. That is all. Um, let me pray. I wanted to give Kara a few minutes to give us an update about what's going on in Project Red. And I can bring a mic to you if you just want to talk from there, or you can come up here, whatever. Um, let me pray. God, we entrust ourselves to you and um, ask for your wisdom and your courage uh, as we try to see the, the world that we're in and the system that we're all embedded in and in capitalism. God, we acknowledge that you, um, you are God. You are Lord over all. You are the source of all, the cre- creator of all. God, would you give us grace to um, to acknowledge you in that, to trust you in that, to be free from the anxiety and the the false desire that capitalism invites us to? Um, would you invite us into lives of open handedness and generosity and hospitality and justice that uh, that keeps us in a a healthy relationship of participation and resistance in these these bigger forces that we're swept up in uh, uh, by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.